Hello, I'm Jay Rosario and welcome to Engage. Uh, joining me is my good friend Dan McGrath, who's our co-host. Dan, who are you and what are you doing here? I'm Daniel McGrath. I'm a new pastor up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Just very happy to be here and uh, joining the show today. This series is a very, very special series because we're going to be looking at some highly relevant subjects dealing with young adults in their Christian experience. And we're always going to be looking at the Word of God, the Bible, to see what the Bible says regarding these things. Now, Dan, what particular subject are we going to be discussing in this segment? Yeah, today we're talking about the issue of sexuality. And you know, in our culture today, it's a very misunderstood subject. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for us, for, for us to even talk about. And, you know, probably we're going to be a little awkward at a, in a moment here. But um, the Bible has a lot to say about the issue, so this is what we're going to talk about today. And the reason why it's awkward, we decided to invite a good friend of ours named Ariel Roldan, who actually used to be my teacher at the Mission College of Evangelism. Ariel, Ray. good to Happy see you. you're here with us. Thank you, thank you. Now, good Ariel, we know you, but uh, our audience may not know who you are. Who are you? Where do you come from? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, originally from the Argentina, but uh, I'm a U.S. citizen now. Oh, I congratulations. became a U.S. citizen last year. Uh, I've been married now for five years this June, and uh, we just have an eight-month-old baby at home. Oh, nice. That I'm missing a lot. So. What are their names? Daline is my wife's name, and Gianna is my daughter's name. Right. So. so you're a husband and you're a father. Yes. So if there's anybody that is well-versed in the subject of, of sexuality... Is Jesus. Is Jesus, <laughs> and it's also Ariel Jordan, because obviously... I'm growing, are, brother. You're a family man. We're really happy. My little so. girl's teaching me stuff. Yeah, we're really happy that you're here with us. Now, Ariel, tell us a little bit about sexuality. Why is it that when even, uh, maybe not even jumping into the discussion of sexuality, maybe even just mentioning sexuality or mentioning sex, there's this kind of discomfort. It's, it's kind of tabooish. Where does this feeling come from, and why is it that there's so much reservations about talking about sexuality? Well, people sometimes ascribe it to cultures and things like that, but I've traveled quite a bit, not as much as you, um, but I've seen that this is a cross-cultural thing. Yeah. Pretty much every culture has this awkwardness when it comes to sexuality. Um, from a Christian perspective, I think the church is at fault to a great degree as to why many people think that uh, you shouldn't talk about sex, you shouldn't discuss about sex. Um, and as, in, in a nutshell, uh, during the second, third, fourth century, Christianity began to shed its Jewish roots and adopt more and more of the Greek worldview, uh, Greek philosophy. And in essence, I mean, I'm, I'm distilling it down to very, very, very basic um, concepts. Uh, the Greeks would see that the spiritual things, the intangible, visible things that are spiritual, are good. The material stuff, including our bodies, are bad. Mm. And we have a good spirit inside a bad shell, which is the body. And, of course, you have sex with the body. So when the, the Christian church began to embrace all of these philosophical ideas into the church, uh, it began to see sex in a negative light. So much so that uh, for people that really wanted to get close to God, really wanted to have an intimate relationship with God, they would take a certain vow. You want to take a guess of what, what kind of a vow they had to take? The, the self, being celibate. Celibacy. Yeah. Because they saw as sex as hindering the nearness to God. So that well, sex had a bad connotation yeah. because it's physical. Yeah, but the Bible is completely opposite. The Bible actually says that uh, Enoch had a kid, and after he has a kid, after obviously you can't have a kid without having sex, right. after he has a child, he walked with God. So there was, the Bible never intimated, never hinted at, if you want to be really close with God, don't have sex, don't have families. Actually, it was the total opposite. If you really want to understand God's heart, have a child. 
Now, now wait a second, Ariel. Wait a second, because you're introducing some pretty revolutionary things. Usually speaking, when, when a young adult or young person, or maybe any person uh, of any age, of any particular culture, usually when we think of sexuality and we think of the Bible, usually we don't put those two things together. We don't really yeah. see how there's a relationship between the two. Yeah. Usually there's kind of a, this, this perspective that the Bible is asexual, but in your explanation, you mentioned the Bible, the Bible this, the Bible that. Does the Bible actually talk about sexuality? Yes, and there's two transitions. Not only is the Bible not asexual, it is also not anti-sexual, okay. because it does talk about it, but it's not against sex. Okay. Actually, in the, book, the first book of the Bible, in the very first chapter of the Bible, you have sex. And not many people realize it because the Bible doesn't actually have the word sex. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 1? Yep, uh, verse 27 and 28. And we encourage our viewers to make sure that they have their Bibles so that yep. they can follow along with us. Yes, and I'm reading from the New King James. You can read from any, any translation that is easy for you to understand. Uh, Genesis 1, 27 and 28 reads, So God created man, and that's generic, that's like saying human. Humanity, right. Uh, God created humanity in His own image. In the image of God, He created humans males and females. So the, the first uh, way that the Bible addresses sexuality is not a, as a verb, because most of us think as sex as something we do. Do, an action. But the Bible actually presents sex as something we are. Mm. And it's part of our, our, our humanity. Part of your identity. Yes, and it's not something that is separate of. I mean, sexuality embraces everything from, from your anatomy to your neuroanatomy to your emotions. Um, the way God created us is there's a distinct, there, obviously there's no superior, inferior, but there's a distinct uh, difference between a man and a woman. And that those differences are also manifested sexually. And it's not just like we're all cookie cut, you know, all of us are men, all of us are women. Even within masculinity, you have diversity and you have your own personality, but your personality is intimately tied with your sexuality. Wow. So it seems like from, from hearing your explanation, it seems like sexuality is a lot more profound than we usually think. It's a lot more broad, profound, deep. I mean, it's, we don't typically think of sex outside of the bedroom or other rooms where people have sex. Right. Uh, but we're going to be generic, just the bedroom. Right. Uh, we don't think about sex as something that, that identifies me in, in, in society mm. um, as a father. That is, that is a sexual role. As a mother has a sexual role. A father can never be a mother. Those are separate sexual roles. And so sexuality embraces every aspect of life as humans. So then sexuality is an integral part of existence. Yep. Uh, not only because of procreation, but be, even because of the gender distinctions and their roles in the upbringing of the, f of the next generation is what you're saying. Yes. Wow, yes. fascinating. Um, there's, there's more, actually. Um, the very next uh, verse, verse 28, this is where I was telling the, the audience and you guys, uh, that the Bible mentions sex for the first time is in verse 28, and it's hidden. And I'm going to see if you guys can pick up which word in this verse actually refers to sex. Verse 28 says, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Where did you guys see sex? Be fruitful. Yeah, multiply. be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. God was not talking about trigonometry or calculus. He was talking about <laughs> Amen. sex. And it's interesting to me that he says the, uses the word multiply, you know, because you have addition, one plus one plus two plus three. With multiplication, it's, 
you go up a lot faster in numbers. Exponentially right. different. Exponentially. <laughs> so it's, he's not even saying you should be on a diet. You know, sex is not something to be like nibbling at. Enjoy it. I have designed sex to be the culmination of the expression of my image in you. And when God makes men in, in, in verse 27, he uses this, this word right before, every, before he's going to do something. He says, let us make men in our image. Our image. Let us make men. Well, God by nature is social. Oh, wait a second. So you're saying that, I mean, in our culture, we tend to, we tend to like hide these things. You know, if, if sex is something that we do behind closed doors. Yeah. If, if it happens, like it's hush hush, you know, don't tell anybody. But what you're saying is like, you know, enjoy it, multiply, uh, have at it. Well, this, is I, like, this is a lot different than what, you know, we've heard before or what the church. Yeah. And like I said, is, is the church's yeah. fault to a great degree to the great ignorance and maybe misunderstanding. Maybe sometimes ignorance is better than misunderstanding. <laughs> right, right. Um, but uh, when I was Bible working in Ohio, I would have these young, young kids ask me questions about sexuality. And I would begin to share the positiveness of it and that actually you would want to include God in the equation. It was almost offensive for them to think that in my nuptial bed, I would pray before having sex. Mm. You know, it's like, Lord, take the angels out of this room because we're going to be naked, as if God did not know that part of us. Right. And what the Bible does is it, it brings us back to the originality, the, the orig origins of, of uh, who we are. And sex was not something that God did and then was like, I'm embarrassed of doing that. And because we are created in His, in his image, we should not be embarrassed or ashamed of our sexuality. Mm -hmm. Now, Ariel, do you think, because um, you mentioned the church, uh, I'm, I'm thinking even a little deeper. Okay. Do you think uh, not only the church, but do you think the home has mm -hmm. been maybe uh, one of the reasons why mm -hmm. sexuality is something like, is like a taboo, is something like, ooh, uh, it almost, causes people to blush. Uh, with Did your parents talk to you about sex? You know, my, par my, well, my, my parents, because I grew up with a single mother, my mother was actually very, very uh, open uh, talking to us about sexuality, mm -hmm. which is a good thing, of course, but it, it lacked the biblical let me ask you this foundation because uh -huh. we, we didn't grow up in a Christian home, though. This is interesting, though. Let me ask you this question. I hope it's not too personal. Was she a Christian? No. See, for me, this, this is almost like a pattern that I'm realizing. The, the, the more I interact with people and ask this question, um, more Christian parents are more likely to not talk to their kids about sexuality, whereas more secular-minded or non-spiritual-minded parents are more likely to do it. Interesting. It's, it's an interesting pattern that I've been seeing that they know what the world is like. Mm -hmm. They've been there. And so they're realizing, I don't want my kid to be uninformed, so I'll give him a heads up. Right. And I think that in Christianity, because we don't go to the Bible, we don't see these principles clearly outlined. And I would tell parents when I've done these seminars in other places, Genesis chapter 2 will never come after chapter 3. And no, the no, point is... It's still that. Yeah. What, what does that mean to our viewers? What does that Genesis mean? chapter 2 is pre-sin. Genesis chapter 3 is post-sin. Okay. God, actually in Genesis chapter 2, verse um, 18, actually, that's when he God makes. Uh, verse 16. Uh, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying... Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, what's going to happen? You shall you surely, surely die. die. Is he giving them information about something that is good or about something that is evil? 
you want to die if you eat this. Is that information about something that is good? That doesn't sound too good. That doesn't no, sound death is pretty evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the ultimate. Right. So this is the principle. God doesn't wait for Adam and Eve to be in front of the tree to then say, or for them to have eaten and said, oh, I meant to tell you about that, by the way. Oh, did you eat a bit already? Oh, I'm so oh, sorry. Okay. God actually gets ahead and says, this is something that's going to hurt you. He gave them the knowledge yes. the, the, before they... He prevented. He wanted to prevent. Got it. And parents um, don't understand that God does not hold this belief. And I think this is the subtle belief that has crept into m many of our Christian parents. They're well-intentioned. My parents had the same philosophical view. They equate innocence with ignorance. Okay. And they're not compatible. Actually, Genesis chapter 2 and 3 would let us know that had God kept them ignorant of this, it would have been His fault. And sin would have happened because God never warned them. Right. So for, for parents to think that in order to keep their children innocent, innocent, they need to keep them ignorant, they're not following the Genesis 2 and 3 principle where you need to get ahead of the world. So let me ask you a question. In Genesis 2, we see that God warned them not to eat of the fruit. Mm -hmm. But then in chapter, chapter 3, Satan comes and he says, God knows that if you eat this, yes. your eyes will be opened and you'll, you'll know good and evil. Yes. So definitely. what is the difference of the knowledge that they get between the two chapters? That is a very good question. And if you re read it later on in chapter 3, you see that even God knows good and evil. You mm -hmm. can know what is good and evil, but always choose the good. Mm -hmm. And you can know, they, they could have known that this tree is evil and choose not to partake of it. So know the, know the evil objectively, not subjectively. In That's other right. words, not experientially. That's right. I, theologian over here. No. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen you, Jay. Your vocabulary It's been a while. I'm actually having brother. fun. I'm so, impressed. So, Eric, you know, you're talking about, about, about this and you mentioned um, uh, the Garden of Eden and you mentioned all of these things, you know. Do you think that the whole, the whole subject of pleasure May have something to um, to to may have something to do with the, the fact that uh, maybe young people feel like sexuality is something that they can't openly speak to their parents because uh, you mentioned the church and we're mentioning the home we're just kind of getting to the root of the issue but it seems as if young people young adults have the notion that if it has pleasure it's wrong again that is. Uh vestiges of Greek philosophy that have crept into Christianity. And it's not just a phenomenon that manifests itself in the medieval church. Uh, Protestant churches also have many of those vestiges. We, we need to, as Christians, I think, be responsible and say, um, I need to address my faith, my faith group, and evaluate where, where are they getting some of these misconceptions from. And the vast majority of them, at least the ones that I found, have origins with Greek philosophy. Okay. And so for me, um, I, I'm, I'm not saying that it is evil, but it's different than the biblical worldview. Sure. And they have some good things in it, but I need to compare everything and go with what the Bible teaches me because we've already seen in the first two chapters, it kind of undoes pretty much everything sure. that Greek philosophy has done for centuries with the Christian churches. So in other words, uh, not everything, in other words, God is not anti-pleasure. Um, actually, let's turn to Psalms chapter 16. Psalms chapter 16. A friend of mine named Chester shared this at ASI Youth for Jesus. 
And uh, I was at that time, this, this topic has been, I've been developing it more and more. And every time I prepare, even to come here, is new insights. I mean, the Word of God is so, so God wants us to really be educated in this. Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. Uh, Dan, would you like to, to read it? Sure. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures mm. forevermore. So how would you think that this p passage would answer a young person that feels that God does not want us to have pleasure in our lives. Right. And it's not only pleasure, but it's pleasures forevermore. That's right. And there's, there's um, a, a kind of a pleasure that God gives. And the qualifier is that it's eternal, it's not ending, it's always fresh. Um, if you go to the book of Hebrews, don't lose your place in, in uh, So hold Psalms. your finger in Psalm 16. Those, yep. Those that Turn are viewing. to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11. Book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Jay, would you like to take these two ones? Actually, I would love to because Hebrews is my favorite book in the New Testament. Theologian over here. So, uh, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 24 and 25? Yes. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Excellent. Temporal. Temporal. Temporary. Yeah. See, and this verse for me, the more I read the Bible, I used to think the Bible was for boring old people that had nothing to do but sit on a porch and swing. I can resonate with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I never realized how real the Bible is yeah. because I felt that the church was trying to convince me that sin had no pleasure. But the more I would nibble at the world, I'm like, man, this feels good. Mm. What are they talking about? They're lying to me. Well, the Bible does not lie to the reader. Mm. And in this passage, it says that sin has pleasure but it's a different kind of pleasure than the ones God has for us. The ones that God has for us are eternal, non-ending, non-fading. They don't get old. But the pleasures of the world, there's, there's a, a time of novelty. Mm -hmm. There's a time where, wow, it's exciting. But then gradually it fades away. Wow. So then really pleasure um, in, in the world is, in other words, you'll find pleasure in the world. Of course. And you'll find pleasure with God. The difference then is that the pleasure with God is a perpetual pleasure yes. that only gets better and better and better. It's interesting because uh, I'm no Hebrew scholar by any means, but in the original language, actually, uh, the Garden of Eden, which of course was the dwelling place, the habitation that God had for um, Adam and Eve prior to the entrance of sin, Eden in the original Hebrew actually means pleasure. Wow. I'm so, going to, have to write so that down, Jay. The Garden of Eden essentially is the Garden of Pleasure. Pleasure. And I think the, the, the interesting thing, uh, as what Dan was mentioning, is that somehow in Genesis 3, when uh, the serpent spoke to the woman, it almost appeared as if the serpent was trying to let uh, the woman know that she's God missing knows. something. Mm -hmm. For God knows that the day you eat of it, that you will be as gods, knowing yeah. good and evil. In other words, if you only tasted this kind of pleasure, you would experience the zenith of existence or and whatever. It's not even that she's just missing out, but God is withholding it. Yeah. Right. And you know, that's the irony, the sad paradox of modern Christianity, that Christianity is actually speaking on behalf of the serpent by saying those very words mm -hmm. when it comes to sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, when I used to first start doing Bible work and kids would ask me, you know, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend or whatever, those kind of things were very common. I. I was I lacked experience, and God, by His grace, would make up for those mistakes that I've made. I'm not I'm still not perfect, you know. My little girl is showing me that <laughs> on a daily basis, but I would go kind of to say, kind of like at the jugular, and right away say, "No, brother, you're sinning. You got to stop that." Right. Now there's pleasure in sin, yeah. 
And for me to have gone and said that to him, basically I'm telling him, God, thus saith the Lord, thou needest to suffer by withholding pleasure. What I would have said to him is, your pleasure is good, but the pleasure God has for you is best. Which one would you want? Mm. And invite him to begin a journey with God. Mm. Because I realize that many times we just tell people what to do. I was told what to do without never an intelligent reason behind it. And if there's a book that speaks to our intelligence, to our reason, mm. it's the Word of God. Amen. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I began to say, Lord, I, I would tell them, you got, you got to stop having sex with this girlfriend, and guess what happened with our Bible studies? Um, I, would, I, I, I need to cancel with you. <laughs> My girlfriend got mad at me, so that's the end of the Bible studies. Mm -hmm. And I would realize, Lord, what went wrong? Mm. I told him truth, but, you know, he doesn't want to study anymore. And I realized I, I need to examine my own journey with the Lord right. regarding sexuality. Right. God did not tell me, stop. God said, I have something better for you. Right. Like the woman at the well, I have water that you will never thirst from again. Right. Now, Ariel, maybe there's a young person watching this program. Maybe there's a young person thinking, well, what's wrong with uh, being involved in uh, intimate relations with mm -hmm. somebody that's not, uh, yeah. that I'm not married to? Uh, after all, God is a God of pleasure. And obviously sexuality, at least we've learned now, that is, is a good thing. So why, what's wrong? In your pastoral experience, what have you, what have you seen uh, as maybe negative results of young people that uh, indulge in this? Um, it, it, it's hard at first maybe to express it to them. But if you take them to the Word of God, the Word of God has a, a powerful way to speak to our conscience. The part of us that is sensitive. And the passages that I would share with, that, with them would be Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Back to Genesis. Uh, I love, that's my favorite book in the Bible. Yours is Hebrew, mine is Genesis. Well, actually, my Old Testament favorite is Isaiah, but yeah, my New Testament is Hebrews. Which chapter in Genesis? Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2? Um, verse 7. Um, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life, mm. the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Um, this passage is, is highly loaded, but the basic thrust of this is there, there is an aspect of us that is physical, but then God also made us into be emotional, mm -hmm. intellectual, and spiritual. There's four main components to every human being. And the way we look at sexuality is guess which one? You have physical, emotional, mental, and uh, spiritual. Guess which one we always associate it this with? This one, physical. Physical. <laughs> physical. And maybe so that's a fourth of what we could be experiencing sexually. Wow. And I, I share with them, you know, begin to answer these questions besides, you know, being very creative and, and very uh, proficient in your sexual, you know, act. What else do you guys share in common? Mm. Do you guys talk to each other from the heart? Do you know her? Do you know her fears? Do you know his past? Do you know the things he, 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 that, that caused him hurt, his insecurities? Mm. Do you know what the answer was? No. Mm. Especially from the men. They had a hard time expressing things from them. And so the relationship was always getting half, half shot and it would end. It was like physical, 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 physical. And it would they didn't fizz have out. That, they didn't have that emotional connection. It would fizzle out. Wow. And eventually he would break up, she would break up, and they'd go and find someone else. This is the one. This is the one. And so I would encourage them and say, let this one be the one by adding the other three components. Amen. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't start with the mental or the emotional. I would start with spiritual. spiritual. Now, what happens to a person who just engages in the physical act 
person to person, lives a promiscuous lifestyle, what is that person doing to himself? Um, well, like we've just said, they're robbing of themselves of 75% of their humanity. Mm. That's, that's where the Word of God would appeal to them and say, you're selling yourself short. Yes, it feels good, undeniable. I mean, just as good as, you know, when you, you take some types of drugs or alcohol or things like that, there is an element of pleasure. The Bible will not deny it. What the Bible will seek to, to encourage you is to say, consider it though. What if there was something better than what you have right now? And many people think there's not, nothing better than sex. But sex at a level where there's spiritual, emotional, mental, and um, uh, physical mm -hmm. uh, compatibility components, when those four combine, there is a level of unity that carries people for their entire life. Wow. Before I was a minister, I was a nurse, and I worked at a nursing home. And in all the nursing homes that I had, you had married couples. And they were given this special sign that they would put on their door. You know what that sign said? Do not disturb. <laughs> you know why? Uh, it's not because they were in the bathroom. <laughs> I think I have an idea why. <laughs> and these were 60-year-olds. Wow. And most people think that sex fades out around 30 or 40 or when you get married or when you have kids. But when you put God's presence into your relationship, we already learned from Psalm 1611, the pleasures, including the pleasure from sex with this partner, increases. Wow. The sexual pleasure in the world, because it's lacking these three other components, that pleasure decreases. decreases. It begins to become more and more impoverished, more and more limited. So you're saying the bond grows stronger yes. by not, you know, living the promiscuous lifestyle. Yes. Now, Ariel, in a few seconds, because we only have a few, a few minutes left, what counsel would you give to a young person that maybe finds themselves kind of in a complex situation with intimacy? Where would you counsel them to look for help? What, what are some maybe one or two points that you could give them in a, in a few seconds that we have? Maybe um, 20 seconds. I would pr pretty much ask them, pray because God is, is awakening you. Mm. The, fact, the very fact that you're having those sentiments is evidence that God is speaking to your heart. Amen. So if He's speaking to your heart, He already has a, an answer to your desire to have someone guide you. Pray for eyes and ears to recognize that. And be active. Go to a church. That's kind of like a safe place to go. Right. And talk to a pastor. Proactive. Uh, pro I, I want to say uh, any age because you have elderly pastors that may have wisdom and be able to relate sure. to young people. And, but find a pastor that you can speak to, that you can feel comfortable with, and be transparent. Mm. Even if, even if, if the, the, it's an older pastor, you make him a little uncomfortable. <laughs> right, asking those tough questions. Sometimes I was younger and the questions I got, you know, about oral sex and all these things, I was like, uh, well, let's, I don't know, where's the concordance? <laughs> <laughs> what does the Hebrew uh, say? <laughs> um, it made me feel uncomfortable, but it confronted me. Why are you uncomfortable about talking right. about this? Right. And be, the more comfortable that I felt, the more credibility I had with the young people. So find someone that is comfortable talking to you mm -hmm. about this, probably someone with a family, someone that has had some experiences in life, and look at their marriage. Mm -hmm. if, are, he's happy, is, is he happy with his wife, or is, if he's the wife, if you're a young lady, preferably I would rec highly recommend talking to a female, not a, not a man. A male. Well, it's obvious, Ariel, that uh, being a father and a husband has really given you a lot of insight and uh, a lot of wisdom into this subject. So we just, we really want to thank you for coming into our show and uh, for blessing us with all of these. My blessing, my pleasure. And uh, I wanted to uh, just speak to the audience that's watching that uh, two things. Number one, if you've forgotten everything that we've mentioned, number one, that there's help. You can find help. Uh, and number two, that the Word of God answers the deepest questions of life. 
God bless you.